throughout Advent, we have been journeying through the four names that we find in Isaiah chapter 9 that we, we typically associate with, with Christmas, with the Christmas story. Advent chapter, or Advent, excuse me. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. During the first uh, sermon in this this series, I mentioned that these words were really written over 700 years before Jesus was born. And they were likely written or adapted uh, for a a king uh, or uh, uh, somebody who was was coming to deliver Jerusalem from years and years of oppression and instability. Really, it was was kind of a poem or a hymn written for a coronation of sorts. Between the time of Isaiah and when Jesus was born, there were plenty of rulers who came and who kind of partially delivered on this promise. They, they brought momentary relief, at least for some people. But, but it never seemed to last. From establishing international policies that would have helped people in Jerusalem to live at, at peace with their, their neighbors, to setting policies within the walls of Jerusalem that would help people live at peace with one another, the king was, res, was responsible to establish systems that, that really helped everyone to flourish. In, in a lot of ways... The king's role then was seen in a similar way to how we think of politicians or or civil leaders today. But, as we've seen in our country and as others have, have experienced throughout history, peace for one group of people often comes at the expense of others. And, ironically, is often sought through the act of war. Peace is, is, is kind of seen as this lofty ideal, a concept thrown around by global leaders or used in some form of politicking or another. It's why when I hear the words that, that Pastor Dale read earlier from Psalm 46, I, I can't help but, but be, be grabbed by this idea of, of Being still before God, before the God, the God, the one who makes wars cease to the end of the earth, who breaks the bow, who shatters the spear, who burns the shields with fire, who ends all types of war. We see something similar earlier in chapter 2 of Isaiah, where we're told God will, will judge between the nations, that God will sort everything out, settling disputes and having weapons that, that were intended for harm turned into tools used to cultivate growth, to cultivate the earth, where we read that, that they turn into plowshares and pruning hooks. Now, one of the most difficult parts of grasping this idea of peace, really the the idea that that Jesus came to bring, is that it's not just some sort of lofty ideal. 
It's something that, that we as followers of Jesus are invited to be a part of each and every day. It's something that we as Christians are invited, invited to, to spread throughout our communities in all areas of life. The idea of, of shalom, the Hebrew word for shalom really, really just means complete well-being, wholeness. And as followers of Jesus, we are invited to work toward bringing that to our communities. Last week, I, I mentioned that uh, the, the title that we looked at, Everlasting Father, might be the most difficult of the four titles used in Isaiah 9 for me to attach to Jesus. Prince of Peace, on the other hand, might have the clearest connection. I can wrap my mind around Jesus taking uh, the, the son, the prince. I, I can wrap my mind around him Bringing peace, it just makes sense. And any study of Jesus' life shows us that he constantly worked for peace. Two of the clearest examples of Jesus taking on the role of the Prince of Peace come at the end of John's Gospel. The first comes a few days after Jesus had the conversation with the disciples that, that we looked at last week where he reminded them that like an everlasting father, he wouldn't leave them orphaned, even though he wouldn't always be with them, that they would never be alone, an everlasting father. A, a few days later, a conversation takes place between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. It's usually one that we look at during Holy Week leading toward Easter. Starting at John chapter 18, verse 33, we read, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. Well, trying to figure out how to respond to Jesus and how to relate to the crowd, Pilate asks one of the most honorable, uh, one of the most honest and relatable questions in the entire Bible. What is truth? Now, we often vilify Pilate, but, but think about how different his response is here to the response of Herod when Herod finds out that Jesus is born just over 30 years earlier. What does Herod do? This is where you can respond. He, he tries to find a way to kill Jesus. Pilate says, well, what is truth? It continues. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in the uprising. So Jesus is, is clear here that his kingdom is not of this world. 
Even if Pilate wasn't clearly threatened by Jesus, as, as Herod was, he had to be confused by all that was taking place. Jesus responds to Pilate's questions about talking about this unique nature of his kingdom, which included that if his kingdom were like earthly kingdoms, if his kingdom were like the other kingdoms, the one that Pilate was a part of, his followers would have been fighting against those who arrested him. So he talks about his, his kingdom and how his kingdom is different, the Prince of Peace. The, the second conversation I'd like us to look at briefly this morning serves as a reminder of just how different that kingdom is. It's the first interaction that Jesus has with the apostles after his resurrection. And it reinforces how this idea of peace, remember, shalom, whole being, wellness, was at the heart of Jesus' ministry. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. His first words, peace be with you. After he said this, he, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that I enjoyed most about going to a a seminary that had professors and had people from just about every sort of Christian denomination you can think of is that we had some very healthy debate. So some very healthy debate, some very rich conversation. I mean, I guess that 99% of us or so at at Fuller Seminary all agreed on, on the basics. That, that God created the world, that God loved us, that God loved humankind, that, that Jesus died to remind us that God loved us. Pretty much everything that's affirmed in the Apostles' Creed. I, I'm, I'm guessing that 99% of the people that I went to seminary with agreed with what's in the Apostles' Creed. But after that, when you get beyond what I'd consider to be the essentials, there's quite a bit of diversity. And I loved having these open and honest conversations. I don't remember the specifics of each and every conversation I had, but I do remember being particularly stretched by a a certain ethics class that I took. The the professor was a a steadfast, professed uh, pacifist against any type of violence whatsoever. It was never justified in his mind. And two of my classmates, of the dozen or so people in the class, were a police officer and a reservist in the military. We we had some great conversation. One day, the police officer and the reservist were arguing with the professor about what he would do if someone broke into his house and came after his family. They were trying to paint him in a corner. Would that justify violence? Would that justify the violence? How... Would he respond? Would he not get up and fight? Now, I don't think I agreed with everything the professor had to say, but the way he stated or started his response has always stuck with me some 15 years later. He said, I'd have to get creative, wouldn't I? 
I'd have to get creative, wouldn't I? The back and forth continued and, and then opened up to the rest of the class, focusing on what each of our thresholds would be for when violence would be justified. And the professor kept doubling down on his belief that, that we often aren't creative enough when it comes to the pursuit of peace. When the resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples, the second phrase out of his mouth after saying, peace be with you, is as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. I bring peace. I'm sending you out with peace. Be creative with it. So much of the kingdom that the Prince of Peace came to introduce, it flies in the face of our kind of conventional wisdom, it flies in the face of, of what a lot of the world says we should respond to when, when something happens in our, in our lives. And it flies in the face of, of that kind of upward mobility or, or power seeking that, that drives so much of our culture. Jesus says things like, you have to lose your life to save it. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So much of the world that he entered, like much of the world that we live in today, was about gaining power, about finding influence. It's a world that shouts, seek control, win at all costs, defeat the enemy, be correct, win those arguments. Because losing control or losing an argument is a sign of weakness. So win at all costs. A world that thrives on, on building our own kingdoms instead of in, investing in the kingdoms of others. Where we find our worth in our wealth or how much influence we can have. A world where we ignore the, the little people around us. The outcasts. The unimportant while doing our best to surround ourselves with those who will make us look good or sound good or achieve a certain type of status. A world that promotes forward mobility above all else. Where slowing down is frowned upon, where we're taking a break is seen as a sign of laziness. Whenever I think of this sort of world and my own place in it, I, I can't help but think of the story of Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a, a theologian who jumped through all the hoops of rising up to the top of academia. He wrote books, traveled the world speaking. He was a professor at Harvard, was seen as a thought leader by many. Eventually, he left it all to move into a, a community with developmental, uh, of people with developmental disabilities. And it was in his decade of, of living in that home that he wrote that he finally discovered what it meant to be one of God's beloved after he let go of that upward trajectory. Now, it might not be a, a theologian for you, but I'm guessing you can think of a person or two who did something drastic that kind of flew in the face of conventional thinking. 
And though the way that we participate in the kingdom of God doesn't always have to be that drastic, drastic, Jesus does invite us, his followers, to rethink how we interact with the rest of the world each and every day and all that we do. So instead of winning at all costs or, or seeking retribution or winning those arguments, We're getting back for the ways that we've been wrong. The Prince of Peace invites us to rethink forgiveness. The question the disciples ask about the numbers of times they had to forgive others is what comes to mind here when I think about Jesus and forgiveness. How many times, Lord, how how many times do I have to forgive that person who wronged me? And, And he responds, well, 70 times 7, essentially as many times as it takes So my question for us is, as we head into Christmas this weekend, who do you need to forgive? What might you need to let go of? Instead of building our own kingdom, the Prince of Peace invites us to to rethink generosity. I know that now for, for some of us, it feels like we, in the church world, we talk way too much about money. That we talk way too much about time, talent, and treasure. But the reason that this is an ongoing conversation in the church, it's, it's fairly simple. It's not just about keeping our lights on or, or staffing our programs or making sure that our, our, com- our committees and ministry teams are full. It's not really even just about Westminster. Jesus was fairly clear. The way that we use our resources, our time, talent, and treasure, says a lot about our priorities. It's that whole thing that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. How we use what we have, time, talent, treasure, everything, says a lot about what we value. says a lot about what we prioritize. So that's why we talk about it in the church. It's about what we do with following Jesus. Instead of ignoring those who are on the margins of society, the Prince of Peace invites us to rethink how much attention we give to the vulnerable. Think about it. Jesus ate with outcasts. He challenged the elite. He invited children to be front and center and used them as the model for faith. He constantly challenged what was widely accepted in culture in his context. I mentioned Henry Nouwen earlier, and he has all kinds of great lines about the importance of spending time in the margins of society. And I wanted to read you one of his quotes. He writes, We can trust that when we reach out with all of our energy to the margins of society, we discover, we discover that petty disagreements, fruitless debates, and paralyzing rivalries will recede and gradually vanish. We, can, we trust, I'm going to say that again, we can trust that when we reach out with all our energy to the margins of society, we discover that petty disagreements, fruitless debates, and paralyzing rivalries will recede and gradually vanish. The church will always be renewed when our attention shifts from ourselves to those who need our care. The church will always be renewed when our attention shifts from ourselves to those who need our care. So how much attention are we really giving 
to the most vulnerable around us. Lastly, the Prince of Peace invites us to rethink progress. Jesus talked all the time about the importance of Sabbath and the importance of rest. It is so hard to take him seriously. I don't know about y'all, but it's hard for me to take him seriously. How many of you uh, can take a nap without feeling guilty about it? I'm jealous. I'm jealous. When was the last time you you took an entire day off from social media or or from, from the news? Just unplugged. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you took a day or two for recreation, to play, to have fun, without any focus on work or, or any projects that you're involved in, a day to honestly rest? Now, I, I know I'm, I'm the pastor here, but, but I'm, I'm going to say something that might come as a shock. When was the last time you missed church because you needed to sleep in? All the people at home, can you get an amen? <laughs> It is okay to hit pause. It is okay to not always grind toward whatever it is that's next. It's actually healthy to hit pause and take rest. The Prince of Peace ushered in a different sort of kingdom. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And as citizens of that, that very different sort of, of kingdom, we're invited to rethink how we, we function in the world. To, to rethink how we view forgiveness. Rethink how we view generosity. Rethink how much time we spend with those who are on the margins of society. And to rethink progress, to find time, to just take a break. Let's pray. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. With Advent coming to a close in the next few days and with the celebration of Christmas right around the corner, remind us to take a moment to think about what your birth actually meant for those who waited for it. And as we continue to await your second coming, remind us that we belong to a different sort of kingdom. May the way that we live reveal the love that you have for us and for our neighbors. We pray these things in your name. Amen.